Welcome in, everyone. Happy Tuesday. I'm Cole Carmen. You're listening to The Night Shift on Wildcat 91.9. Alongside of me tonight, Mr. Connor Carson. Connor, happy snow day. That's everyone, right. if you don't know, right. news hot off the press, fresh off of the old block. No school tomorrow if you're a K-State student. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. Unless you are a student teacher who may or may not have to go in tomorrow. That would be tragic. I don't know who that would be. It could be me. I don't know who I'm talking about. Maybe I'm talking about you if you're listening to this and you're a student teacher at a school in the lower uh, Manhattan area who may or may not have school tomorrow. Um, In Kansas City, lots of snow. You heard the news update, everyone. Be safe. Go to the grocery store right now. In fact, get in your car. You're listening on the app right now. Get in your car. Turn on your radio. Go to your local grocery store and buy all the milk because that's what you know you need in a snowstorm. You got to have milk. You got to have bread. It's a must. Everybody, that's why there's no milk or bread on the shelves when you go because people freak out about snow. Obviously, I'm being sarcastic, but seriously, everyone, if you do have to drive tomorrow, be safe because it's going to get nasty outside. Um, So no school today or no school tomorrow, excuse me, for Kansas State and most likely schools around this area as well. I know KU also, even though we don't like to talk about KU. KU's not, not a go either, so I'd assume pretty much everywhere along I-70 would be canceled tomorrow. Yep, you would think. Um, so we got a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, there was a lot that we were going to plan on talking about. We were planning on talking about a Chiefs win, but obviously that didn't happen. So we're going to talk about the Chiefs later in the show. Um, but quite honestly, there's some more pressing NFL news that I want to talk about. Um, that has to do with the Brian Flores NFL lawsuit situation. We will touch on that. We will talk about that. You're going to want to stay tuned for that because I am going to have a lot to say. I'm sure Connor will as well. We're going to have a lot to say about that situation, everything that's going on. If you don't know, Brian Flores, it came out today, late, actually late this afternoon, that he was suing the NFL and in in, in three teams um, for racial discrimination in the hiring process. So we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about the Chiefs as well. We'll probably touch on some K-State basketball, but... It is the signing day special. The signing day special. Kansas State tomorrow will have a signing day press conference. Chris Kleiman will talk about the the players that are signing. uh, And some transfers will be there for interviews as well. Unfortunately, I will not be able to make it unless, actually, I didn't think about this, unless school gets canceled, I might be able to make it out Mm -hmm. there. So, if you are a local media member, also, please drive safe to Veneer. Last time we were at Veneer for signing day, there was a tornado. And now there's going to be a snowstorm. So I don't know what that means. Must just mean signing day comes with bad weather. But maybe that just means the recruits, there's a storm brewing. Ooh, I like that. There's a storm brewing. That could be the slogan. There's a storm brewing. Taylor Brad, if you're listening to this, uh, that is, that's that's the slogan. There's a storm brewing in the class of 2022. Free charge. Free charge right there. We're going to talk about these guys momentarily. Um, but before I do, I also want to mention the transfers. Um not going to focus as much on them tonight as we will these these freshmen because quite honestly these are these incoming freshmen will probably be the only time we talk about them uh, because these guys that are transfers are going to be key contributors to this team I'm not so much sure it'll be like this with the freshmen but we'll we'll get into that so today the plan is we'll talk about uh, as I mentioned recruiting day or just recruiting day the recruiting signing day special we'll talk about some NFL then we'll get into some K-State hoops here at the end of the show just me and Connor tonight but we got a lot to cover so hope you stick around don't turn that dial but without further ado it is time to as they say 
Is it Bring on the Cats? It is Bring on the Cats. Okay, so a little backstory here as I'm playing Joker and the Thief to get you excited for football season. We could not find the song that they say Bring on the Cats for. If you go to K-State Sporting Events, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, dun, dun, dun. Like, everybody knows everybody that song. Everybody's a clap. And then... Right, but we don't know that song, so instead we're playing Joker and the Thief. Uh, they play this before the kickoffs. So I'll run down the names real quick before we get into it. Jalen Klim, an offensive tackle from Pennsylvania. Donovan Ryman, from a defensive end from Oklahoma. Toby Usanzami from Wichita, a linebacker. VJ Payne from Buford, Georgia. Braden Lofton, Jake Clifton, Jordan Perry, John Pastore, Jake, or excuse me, Drake Beckwith, Colby McAllister, Kobe Savage, Garrett Oakley, and last but not least, Sterling Lockett. Signing tomorrow will be Adrian Lara, Tyson Schruber, Uso Samulia, and Jacob Parrish. Can you believe I got through all those names before the song ended? Pretty impressive. And the pronunciations were on point, too. Yeah, you know, that is just kind of how we roll here at Wildcat 91.9. You know, we got to get things right. And I want to jump right into this because there's a name that a lot of people know. I mentioned him. His name is Sterling Lockett. The Lockett family has another one. Can you believe it? It feels like these guys have been here. There's like, there's forever, right? You have Aaron Lockett, you have Kevin Lockett, you have Tyler Lockett, and now you have Tyler's little brother, Sterling Lockett. You're from Blue Valley West. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. Sterling went to Blue Valley High School. So I, I want to know, did you get a chance to watch him play in high school? Um, I th- I think he would have been a freshman or sophomore whenever I went and watched. Um, I hate to say it, but my high school was not the best at football for the majority of my, my going there. But my senior year, they were pretty good. But everybody knows. You see him. It's like, oh, that's Sterling Lockett. Everybody's like, it's Tyler Lockett's little brother. I mean, he was still uh, – I think he would have been a sophomore. Yeah. He would have been a sophomore whenever I was a senior. So, I mean, he was playing, obviously. I haven't gotten a chance to see him and, like, really focus on him. But if there's one thing, athletics generally run in the family. Yes. So, yes. I mean, if having those athletic genes to jump off on, I don't think there's anything. I mean, obviously he's going to come in. Everybody's going to expect him to be Tyler. I think he just needs to be himself. Which is know? unfair, quite yes. honestly. And I love Sterling. I think he's a great kid. I've gotten a chance to interact with him a few times and I I, I I really think the expectations for Sterling are gonna be unfair because Sterling is five ten one fifty five and he's lucky to be five ten. He is not the same player as Tyler. No. That's just it's just he's just not. Right? Tyler Lockett was a special talent. There's no reason Sterling can't develop into that, but there was a reason why according to twenty four seven uh, he's a three-star recruit, right? He's an 83 composite score, and if you don't know, if we're going to reference 24-7 sports a lot here tonight and their composite ratings. And so I'll, I'll just kind of break this down. Composite ratings bring into account ratings from every single different recruiting service. I will reference that, and I'll also reference a 24-7 sports rating. Tyler had an 83.336 composite and an 84 um, 24-7. So scouts kind of agree he's right there in the middle of that three-star range, which there was a time with Bill Snyder where K-State, if they got a three-star, they are doing lucky. Mm. right? You go back and you look, there was a time where they were living in the two-star range, and, and that not so long ago, right? At the end of Bill Snyder, you were lucky to get a guy like this. And so for Sterling Lockett, I think not only is it a win because you maintain that relationship with the Lockett family, but you're also in-state. And that's something that this staff has really, really focused on, right? Getting back into Kansas City. And if you follow K-State football recruiting at all, you'll know that they're winning preferred walk-ons right now, especially with this incoming class. We're not going to talk about PWOs tonight, but, I mean, there is two or three kids that they got that could very well be on scholarship that are from the state of Kansas. 
but just because of numbers or what have you not, like they decided to come here as a preferred walk-on. So, I mean, I think they're doing a great job recruiting in the state. You know, we can sit here and talk about Jaron Kanick, who's now enrolled at Oklahoma, was the number one player in the state. You can talk about these guys all you want, and we're not going to talk about the class of 23. Like I said, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that, but that's a whole nother story. Um, but Sterling Lockett was a, is a great get for K-State. I'm very happy that Sterling's going to be a Wildcat because it's, it is, quite honestly, it's, it's the perfect fit. He was born a Wildcat. I think that's all you got to say about exactly. that. Exactly. He was definitely born a Wildcat. Moving right up down the list, Garrett Oakley, a tight end from Scout Central Catholic High School, Columbus, Nebraska, a very small Nebraska school. I believe they're, uh, I want to say Class C, which really translates to like Kansas Class 4A. Okay. So very small school, but 6'5", 210. If you turn on the film of Garrett Oakley, you'll be impressed because uh, – you know, he, he's more of those bruiser tight ends, right? K-State has traditionally gone with you have your bruiser, which has been Nick Lenners, and then you have your pass catcher, which has been Daniel Matter Bebe, Bradley Moore, Sammy Wheeler. Oakley is more along the lines of a Nick Lenners, but I do think he still can be athletic enough to make plays. You watch his high school film and he was dominant. He was dominant, but that's because he's going up against guys that are 5'8", right? Yeah. So, you know, he not the greatest overall rating, but again, you know, this guy at K-State, he committed very early on. He, his other offers, Northern Illinois, North Dakota, North Dakota State, South Dakota. So it's not like K-State had to fend off you know, Nebraska and these other Power 5 schools. But I think he's a good guy to bring in and really provide some depth at tight end, which they need. I mean, it looks like he's got a good frame. I mean, he's listed at 6'5", 210, which means he has room to bulk up. But he's also comfortable not being as big and uh, like not being uh, weighing as much, right? So... I mean, the tight end position is a very valuable position in, in an offense, and I think we've seen it throughout college football the past couple of years where the tight end position has really developed into more of a NFL-style yep. position where it used to be college tight ends are kind of just out there to block and maybe run a couple routes, but you see these dudes go and be pro-ready. Like Kyle Pitts broke the rookie receiving yards record for a tight end in NFL history, so the tight end is evolving more. As college football offenses evolve more, the tight end is becoming more evolved and being able to use use a tight end effectively in offense is going to help out a lot. Moving right up down the list here, Kobe Savage from Tyler Junior College in Tyler, Texas. Yes, junior colleges still do exist, right? It seems like with the transfer portal that junior colleges are getting left out, and quite honestly, they are. Uh, Kobe Savage, I am as high on him as I am anybody in this class, not only for the fact that he has played a few years in college already, but the fact that you turn on his tape and he is a playmaker. The first person that comes to my mind when I watch Kobe Savage play is Tyron Matthew. And I know those are pretty lofty expectations, but if you want to turn on his tape, you're doing yourself a favor because Kobe Savage is a playmaker. He's severely underrated by all recruiting services. I do not understand it. Maybe because of the speed. That is about the only thing I could say, but he spent a year at a Division II school. I believe it was Texas A&M Commerce or... I think it was one of those schools, transfers in to Tyler and has a great year. He has a great year. Originally commits to North Texas, right? Um, he com- he was committed to North Texas. Joe Klanerman took a personal visit down to Tyler, spoke with him, but didn't end up offering him a scholarship. So what did he do? He commits to North Texas. Klanerman and Kleinman and company realize, hey, we need to offer this kid. They offer him. He comes up on a visit, commits the next day. Kobe Savage will have a chance to start right away especially with the people you're losing in the secondary he's going to come in and have a chance to start right away and I think being a juco transfer also helps him he's got experience under his belt I mean he's coming in in the class of 22 but really he's 
older than these kids and he's more experienced. He kind of being at this being his third school, it means he's going to be able to adapt to a new system. Right. And I, I've heard you talk about him. You're super high on him and you know what you're talking about. So if you're high on a guy, I'll be high on a guy. But yeah. Colby McAllister is next up on the list, staying in the state of Texas from Friendswood, Texas, Clearbrook High School. This one was a surprise. Um, he committed last summer, and I don't think very many people expected him to commit. Um, he was originally a two-star, I believe, and then I believe 24-7 bumped up his rating. Um, you look at his offer sheet, and it is less than impressive to say the least. K-State and Alabama State. Um, those are the only two schools that offered him. But it was very early on in his recruitment before uh, this past season, and K-State offered him, and he committed practically right away. Van Malone is the lead recruiter on this one, and Van Malone going to have to take more Texas ties now uh, with the departure of Tyler Foster, who really recruited the Dallas area hard. Um, I don't know how much of a, of a miss. that I don't, I don't think that K-State will really miss a beat without him. Um, he's a great recruiter, but because you're only here for a year, it's hard to establish those roots for, for, for your school. And I think Colby McAllister is going to come in and be a depth player. Uh, I don't think he'll come in right away and start. I would imagine he'd redshirt. I'm not even sure he's the second-best cornerback in this class. Um, he definitely has some potential. He has a twin brother who actually is an uncommitted quarterback who could be on the radar for K-State. I know they signed Lara, who were, who were, they're planning on signing Lara, who we'll talk about here in a little bit. Uh, I don't think K-State's going to necessarily be in the running for his twin brother, but I did think that was interesting in that they offered him and not his twin brother. Um, either way, Colby McAllister officially is a Kansas State Wildcat. He signed back in the early signing period. I don't know really what to expect from him, but I do know he'll be able to come in and provide some depth at a position that K-State really needs because they're pretty thin at quarterback, cornerback right now. Yeah, secondary depth is always a, always a big a big get in college you always see a dude go down like it seems like every week you see a cornerback go down so it's always nice to have have dudes who can come in and at least help fill a role he may not play right away you said he may redshirt but having a dude there just to just in case is always a good it's never a bad thing to have depth and so. I, next next we'll go here we'll combine two guys on the uh interior off or excuse me on the offensive line who i both would imagine would play uh, guard. That's Drake Beckwith and John Pastore. Beckwith from Grapevine, Texas. Pastore from Erie, Colorado. I have not had a chance to see pa- uh, Beckwith play in person. He d- he was not up here for a camp. I do know that um, I- I've heard good things about him. His brother, his twin brother, funny funny enough, w- is coming to K-State as a preferred walk-on. He's a fullback. So the Beckwith family will not have to <laughs> not have to split their Saturdays to go watch the brothers. Drake, I think, has a chance. He's huge. Everything I've heard, he is a mauler. Um, I don't know when exactly the timeline is for him to play, but I would imagine he would play the interior offensive line, especially when we have another tackle we'll talk about here momentarily. But Drake Beckwith, the next guy is John Pastore, a guy who I am extremely high on. I saw him in camp. Um, he's huge. He's listed at 6'5", 270, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's bigger than that. Um, I think he's going to have a chance to – he'll probably redshirt as well just because this offensive line, there is a lot of really good young kids in this class. But, I mean, the depth on the offensive line is scary good, and Connor Riley is the best position coach on this staff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, every year it seems like K-State has one of the best offensive lines in the Big 12 and a, a top offensive line in the country. I mean, you just see them time and time again just win the offensive offensive line – or the trenches battle with teams like Oklahoma who are super talented on the defensive line. So uh, again, depth is always is always nice to get. And I mean, these two dudes are huge. I mean, it's always nice to have just people movers in the offensive line. So again, I think they're both good gets. 
Jordan Perry the next is next up on the list from Jefferson, Georgia. A kid who's listed as an athlete. I believe the plan for him is to play safety. Um, I I like Jordan Perry. Um, he his offer sheet is not insanely impressive. Arkansas State, Eastern Michigan, Georgia State, Miami of Ohio, but I, I do know that they are very high on him. Um, he is listed as the number 81 athlete according to 24-7. He has an 86 overall score for 24-7 and 84 composite. So, again, 24-7 is a little bit higher higher on him than the other sites. I, I really like Jordan Perry. I've watched his film. I do think he's a little raw, and that's probably why 24-7 graded him down, or excuse me, the other sites graded him down a little bit. He is a little raw, but at 6-2, he's got a chance to play that back into the safety role, right? You do not see 6-2 safeties. That's the one thing about this class I like is there is some size here. And Jordan Perry, I really like. I think he's going to be a good player. And coming from Georgia, you know, the high school football down there, is, it's intense. Mm-hmm. And being able to get a dude who's that raw in Georgia especially is always always a good thing because you've got so many SEC schools competing for them. And maybe these dudes fly under the radar a little bit. The SEC schools don't see them as people who are going to pop off. They don't see the five-star, right? And then K-State's able to grab him. And he's going to be able to come in, maybe not play right away, but develop and fill out and become a really good player for them. 6-2 is – that's that's lengthy for a safety. That's really good. That's gonna he's gonna be able to cover a lot of ground, and he's also gonna be, <clears throat> excuse me, able to tackle and be in the box. Uh, next up on the list is Jake Clifton from Owasso, Oklahoma, and I have had a chance to watch Jake play. Um, Connor as well. Connor was with me. We went down there um, when K State played Oklahoma State. We got a chance to go watch Owasso play Tulsa Union, I believe, right? Yeah, at Tulsa stadium, Union. Yeah. yeah, beautiful stadium. Uh, I like Jake Clifton. I wasn't as impressed as I think I wanted to be mm-hmm. with Clifton, um, but I, I think the fact, the thing that stood out to me the most was that he was a team captain on an Owasso team that was is traditionally one of the best programs in the entire state of Oklahoma. Therefore, they're, they're one of the best programs in the whole entire Midwest. So, to me, that was the biggest thing. And, and Owasso lost that game to Tulsa Union, who ended up having a very good season. But Jake Clifton, after the game, they lost in overtime, heartbreaking fashion. He's like in tears, just so frustrated that they lost. And that speaks to the kind of competitor that this kid is. He actually impressed me a lot with his coverage ability when Case or excuse me, when we went to go down there and watch him play. I was very impressed with him. I think he's a little small. He's listed at six two. I don't know if he's that big. Um Jake Clifton is one of those guys who reminds me of, quite honestly, a Ryan Hennington or a Cody Fletcher, who you can move to the maybe the outside jack spot who's going to be solid. Like, Jay Clifton is going to play meaningful minutes. He's going to play meaningful snaps for K-State. I don't know when that's going to be. If he learns the system, he could play next year. I am fully on board with that. He is not the most gifted football player, but he ha- is a competitor. He is a winner. He is a leader. That is the biggest thing that I noticed with Jay Clifton. And I don't know about you, Connor, but I- I'm excited for him because I think he has a chance to be a good player. Oh, absolutely. He He's obviously very intelligent on the football field. Uh, and I, the biggest thing I took away whenever we watched him was just how much he cares about playing the game, which is a big thing. And, I mean, what, the final score of that game was 10-7? Yeah. 10-7 in double overtime, which means their defense balled out. Mm-hmm. And he's just shattered. Like, he is in – he is just – he cares that much. And I think that's a really good trait to have. It's one of those intangible things they talk about all the time. And that desire to win is going to be really good, especially for a dude who could be a captain on the defense and – that desire to win can rub off on other people. I think that's that's a really good trait. He he doesn't have all the physical tools, but he makes up for them in, in his intangibles and his just desire to be the best player on the field that he can be. And the last thing I'm going to say about Clifton is he knows how to be around good football players. 
because that team, that Owasso team, was full, <laughs> chock full of good players. He's used to good competition. I think that's going to give him a leg up. Again, I don't know if he's going to start right away, but it wouldn't surprise me if he learns a system and comes in right and comes in and plays fairly quickly. Next person on the list is Braden Lofton, a tight end from Council Bluffs, Iowa, Lewis Central. I'll be honest, I know people really like Braden Lofton's game, and I think he has a chance to be a good football player. But I watch his film, and I question a little bit if he's actually a tight end because you can always tell when you look at kids if they are committed to playing that position. And as somebody who's played that position, I can tell you that it takes somebody special to be able to put your hand in the ground and say, I, not only am I going to go catch a touchdown, but I'm going to be able to move this defensive end back. Braden Lofton, if you watch his film, everything's in the slot. And maybe that's because Lewis Central, who ended up winning a state championship this season, so no no knock on them, but they use their tight ends differently. I'm wondering how that's going to translate to K-State's offense. Now, with that being said, Brian LePac is now the new tight ends and fullbacks coaches. So this offense could look completely different. We have no idea how it's going to be. But I think Braden Lofton has a chance to be more of a receiving tight end than anything. But I think when you balance that they brought in Garrett Oakley to maybe be that more blocking tight end, it makes sense. I like Braden Lofton. I'm not sure when he's going to play just because of the, the stacked position at tight end right now. But, you know, you want to have two tight ends in a class, and I think they did a fairly good job with these guys. Yeah, it kind of sounds like he's more of a pass catcher receiver playing tight end. But with his frame, I mean, there's always that ability to be able to, like you said, put your hand on the ground and go move somebody. But um, being having a good pass catching background as a tight end is always a good thing because you can move him out in the slot. You can get him on – if you put a linebacker on him, he's going to be – too fast for them you put a cornerback on him he's going to be too big for them so having that ability that com- him being comfortable in the slots always a good thing next on the list is vj Payne, listed as a linebacker who will move to safety when he arrives uh, on campus vj Payne from buford georgia again this is probably a guy with the most impressive offer sheet you go look at his offers i believe he was offered by michigan as i'm pulling it up right now boston college vanderbilt arizona state you look at uh, all of his complete teams list. I do believe that Missouri maybe had offered, if I look at it correctly, Colorado, Maryland, Michigan, Michigan State, USC. So there was some teams that K-State beat out um, for V.J. Payne. I like V.J. Payne a lot. Um, I think he's got a chance. If anybody's going to come in and play right away, he's going to be one of those guys who has a chance to, probably more likely on special teams. But I really like V.J. Payne, and they're, they're, K-State added a solid player with him. And you can just tell he's a solid player based on his offer sheet. Whenever you're getting offers from SEC schools, Pac-12 schools, you know you know that the player is good. And I also saw on his Twitter that he runs hurdles, which is always a good thing whenever you're athletic enough to do that. So, I mean, having a dude who's listed a linebacker be able to play safety, like you said, is, is good because that means he's committed to being able to play in the box and then play a different position. Toby Usensami's next up from Wichita East, the Aces. Toby Usensami, I'm very high on. Um, quite honestly, I'm probably higher on than higher on him than a lot of people are. He's listed as a four star for 24/7 and 91 rating, which is the highest on K State's, I believe, um, still number one in their class. If you go by 24/7's rankings, if you go by composite, he's an 86. And I don't know why that is, to be completely honest with you, because I think uh, he, he's he's a, he's a stud. He's a number 232 player in 24/7's, but composite 844. That's a very large difference, and. Again, this is one of those things to where recruiting services they they have these they have these things that they rate players off of. But if you watch the eye test, if you watch Toby Usenzami play, his speed is incredible. He has a chance to come in and play right away. I'm not sure about linebacker, like I mentioned, he might be in the same boat as VJ Payne. 
Toby Houston Zombie is going to see the field next year. I think he's going to play special teams, and I think he could even get in in some situational uh, in some situations. Um, he's going to be a guy that K State fans are going to want to know. And my player comp is Arthur Brown, and I know that's pretty heavy, but I think with the speed and being from Wichita. And also wearing number four, like it kind of lends itself to that. So I'm going to go with a player comp of Arthur Brown, but I really like Toby Houston's on me. And I think another big thing about this kid is another Kansas kid that they were able to pick up. And, I mean, beating out KU should be pretty easy at this point, but every time you do it, it's always a win. And so being able to recruit your home state is always a big thing. And a dude who's three or four star, depending on who who you look at, is always a good thing to get. Next on the list is Donovan Ryman, the defensive end from in Oklahoma, a later commit. But I will say, you look at his offer sheet and you are you got you're shocked because K State, Bucknell, Harvard, Southeast Missouri, and Yale, right? But with that being said, he's an 86 composite rated player. So like, this is not a guy who's bad. He's an extremely smart kid. He's extremely talented. I think he's got a chance to develop into a really good player after watching his film. I I think his upper body is a little bit further along than his lower body, but when you go into a college program, that's what you want because you get in the weight room, you put on some weight, you're going to develop. I think Donovan Ryman's got a chance to be a really good football player. Mm-hmm. And what I've heard, he's pretty raw, pretty athletic, So, and the offers speak for himself. You're getting offers from Harvard and Yale. That means you're you're a decent football player, but you're also really smart, and being really smart always pays off on the football field. So that the athleticism and the size, too, 6'4", 230 as an edge rusher is very, very good size, too. Guy I'm most excited about now is Jalen Clem, offensive tackle uh, from Pennsylvania. There was some questions with Jalen Clem. His dad, former offensive line coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers, accepted that same position at Oregon when Dan Lanning took over. So there were some worries that maybe Jalen was going to go to Oregon, follow his dad. His dad came out and said, "No, no, no. He needs to go to K State. He needs to get away from me." <laughs> and so Jalen Clem is will be honoring his letter of intent and coming to K State. Jalen Clem is going to be a star. I, I'm fully, I'm, I, I'm quite honestly, I'm giddy at the idea of possibly having Cooper BB and Jalen Clem on the edges. Maybe not next year, but the year after that, Christian Duffy retires. You get a guy, Jalen Clem, in there. He's going to be able to play, and he is an athlete. You watch his highlight tape; like the second play is him scoring a touchdown <laughs> from running up a tight end and scoring a touchdown. So yeah, Jalen Clem, he's got the family pedigree. He's going to be a star. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Having your dad being a professional uh, offensive line coach just just speaks for itself. He's going to be really good. Uh, next, guys, I want to talk about here as we wrap up the signing day special. Uh, we'll start with Uso Samulia. And this guy is very interesting because it's his third year playing football. Really? He's from Samoa. Um he goes to Garden City Community College, and there was some question as to if he would qualify. I, I, I'm still there. Still, may be some of those questions. If grade wise, he'll be able to be here and be able to sign tomorrow. I would go out on a limb. From what I've heard, I think he'll be able to. But um, guy who's playing third year football. I mean, I'm not going to spend too much time with him. But he's got a chance to come in and be a depth player. So I really like this get. Moving on down the line, Tyson Struber um, from Canton Gallo was actually, I believe, K State's first or second commit in this class. He'll sign tomorrow. Um, so excited for him! Uh, he he's an eight. He's like the best eight man player of all time. Can you believe that? Like like record wise, the best eight man player of all time. That's crazy. Winner. He well, he's definitely a winner. Um, next guy I want to talk about here, Jacob Parrish from Olathe North High School. Shout out Olathe North. Um, I talked to somebody. I'm just gonna say this. I talked to somebody and he said Jacob Parrish has a chance to be a four year starter. I think that's all I need to say. Severely under, severely underrated 
by every single outlet. This kid is going to be a stud. I know him personally, and I know how hard a worker he is. I'm excited for Jacob. I'm excited for K-State because they got a winner. And I don't think anybody's probably watched him more than you have. Um, watch him closely other than the football staff and the people who are attending the Latham North football games. But you've you've been telling me about him since the start of the year. Like, this kid's good. So, I mean, from what I've heard, he's – I mean, he's a little small, but that doesn't really matter. I mean, if you can play football, you can play football. Yep. And the guy that I am most excited about this class is Adrian Lara, the quarterback from Desert Edge, Goodyear, Arizona. Listen, I'm not going to make a lot of comparisons. I haven't really made that many comparisons tonight. But Adrian Lara, I watch, and he reminds me of Johnny Manziel and Patrick Mahomes. That is that is high, high ceiling. Watch um, his tape, and you will see somebody running around, throwing balls, <laughs> jumping in the air, running sideways, running down the field, juking people out, throwing 70-yard touchdown passes. That's Adrian Lara. And guess what? You know who he reminds me of? His namesake, who's also, maybe not his namesake, he, a man he shares the name with who's also going to share a quarterback room with, and that's Adrian Martinez. If, Adrian if, Martinez mentoring Adrian Lara, good things will happen. If he can be anything like Johnny Manziel or Patrick Mahomes were in college, I think this is an incredible, incredible gift for K-State. Just watch the film, everybody. If you're at home, type in Adrian Lara. That's A-D-R-Y-A-N-L-A-R-A. Huddle. Watch his 10-minute tape. It's probably the most amazing 10 minutes you'll ever watch. I'm just going to say it. Adrian Lara, stud. Um, other people I want to talk about quickly before we move on here. Um as we just go through these names, we'll talk about them probably next week, honestly, or when we start to run out of stuff to talk about because, you know, it kind of gets to be that way when you're doing the winter shows. Um, Adrian Martinez, who I mentioned, quarterback transferring from Nebraska to K-State. You have Joshua Hayes, the Virginia transfer, formerly of North Dakota State, will also be signing tomorrow. Brandon Jennings uh, – ex- actually, excuse me, these guys are on campus. Brandon Jennings from Maryland, who I think is the best get that K-State's gotten probably – in the transfer portal era, um, a linebacker with three years of eligibility left, former four-star recruit. Um, Sean Robinson, shout-out to the Missouri Tigers, Connor's guy. M-I-Z, baby. Former TCU quarterback turned safety at Mizzou, also is enrolled at K-State. And then Will Honus, the Nebraska transfer from linebacker from Wichita, is now at K-State as well. So, with all that being said, now you're caught up on the new guys. It's a lot. A lot of new names to learn. A lot of, a lot of dudes who are going to make a big impact for K-State football in the coming years, I believe. It is a lot. And there's really no good transition to this because we talk about exciting future to now we have to talk about depressing past. And there's no other more person that you just get – like I listen to this clip I'm about to, put, I'm about to play, and I'm going to cry. So I'm not going to give you any context. I just want you to listen to it. Aaron, I, I apologize for how abrupt this question comes, but uh, we're not sure when we'll, we'll get you again. Just how eager are you to just remain with the Kansas City Chiefs? I, I know we haven't talked about that in a while, but just uh, continuing your time here in Kansas City. I mean, I you know I hope so. You know, um, you know, ever since I came here, you know, I've just tried to be the right kind of teammate. Um, you know, I've tried to play my part, and you know, uh, obviously. You know, it's always that feeling that, you know, you can make more plays for your team, but um, I'm hoping it works out. Um, you know, I don't have any control over that. Um, you know, I feel like everything that was in my control, you know, uh, I tried my best to to handle it and, and, and to do it with a smile. So um, I love this team. I love this locker room. You know, it's a lot of coaches that I have great relationships with. And so I'm hoping, yeah. That's just heartbreaking. 
It, it is. You can tell how much he cares about the organization, at least. I know he's had his his bouts with the fans this year, but he is a dude who really, really cares about the game of football. And um, it is just hearing him talk, you could just hear his voice. Just He is he is on the verge of just breaking down on the podium after a loss like that. Um, but they, I, I think they need to get him back, if only for his leadership ability. But who knows what Brett Beach is going to do. Brett Beach, the cap wizard, as I would like to call him, but we'll see. Well, you know, I always thought Patrick Mahomes was a wizard, and I still believe Patrick Mahomes was a wizard, wizard <sighs> is a wizard. In fact, I sat in this very chair seven days ago and predicted K-State, or K-State, I'm not, K-State can't win the Super Bowl. Did you know that? They don't play in the NFL. I did, I, well, the news to me. I predicted the Chiefs would win the Super Bowl and they'd blow out the Bengals, and in the first half, I looked like I was right. Yep. I was watching the game at a local Aggieville establishment, who I'm not allowed to promote, but... I was watching it, and it was going crazy. People were hype, and I'm sitting there saying, okay, there's no way. There's no way that they come back, even when they didn't score at the, at the end of the first half. No way. Chiefs are fine. Chiefs are fine. They're going to be all right. I still believe they're going to be all right, all the way up until they, they threw the interception. I totally believed that they were going to be fine. And I, I, it's just frustrating to lose like that. But you know what? I, I've come to the conclusion that when you host four straight AFC championship games, that is something to be proud of. It's an accomplishment that no other teams can do. And yes, Tyreek Hill and Pat- Travis Kelsey will not be here forever. Neither will Patrick Mahomes. But you can appreciate the greatness while it's here, even if it doesn't result in a Super Bowl. These guys, they're hated right now, right? People hate the Chiefs. But they're going to be remembered as one of the best teams in the history of football. And the fact that they did win a Super Bowl only adds to that. Not People are so consumed, especially with Tom Brady retiring now with you got to win seven Super Bowls. Like, that just doesn't happen. Winning a Super Bowl is really hard. Really. Aaron Rodgers only won one Super Bowl in his career. Brett Favre only won one. Dan Marino won none. Manning won two. So it's not like Super Bowls are guaranteed when you're the best team in the NFL. And I was pretty raw after after the loss, I must say. I was at the game, and the the mood in the parking lot at Arrowhead, it's never great after games, but it was just – it wasn't fantastic, but – I avoided sports talk. I'd see a little bit on my feed, but I avoided watching it. But I, I just see people like, Chiefs are never winning a Super Bowl again. Chiefs are never doing this. Whenever you have Patrick Mahomes on your football team, you are never out of a contest. You're never out of a game. You're never out of a season. If 13 seconds is too much time to give Patrick Mahomes, 17 games is too much time to give Patrick Mahomes. So the, the loss hurts, but I've come to the conclusion that you're not going to win them all. Hosting four straight is an achievement in itself. Going to two Super Bowls and winning one is great. Um, obviously, there's going to be some departures this year we're going to have to see, but I don't think there's any reason why the Chiefs going into next year, depending on where Aaron Rodgers goes, if he goes to if he goes to Denver, I think Denver's going to be good. But there's no reason why the Chiefs shouldn't be the, at least – at the bare minimum, the AFC favorites next year. Because people want to talk about the Buffalo Bills all you want. But guess what? The Chiefs and the Bills are the two te- the only two teams in the AFC that I think have a legitimate chance to be consistent, consistently in the Super Bowl because, I'm sorry, guys, Joe Burrow ain't it. I love him. I love the Bengals. But they play in the division where they might not even win it next year. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, a healthy Lamar Jackson, they win that division. Who knows who the Steelers go out and get a quarterback? If they bring in a quarterback like Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, or even Derek Carr, they're going to be good. Be dangerous with that defense. So I'm not even so, so, so sure the Bengals 
are going to be there consistently. They're kind of like the Chargers, right? Everybody, Everybody's going to pick the Bengals now just like everybody picks the Chargers. I'm not worried about Justin Herbert. I'm, I'm not. Until He's good. He, I'm not until, worried. Until they prove, they prove that they can consistently beat the Chiefs in games that matter, I'm not worried about it. The Chiefs are going to have a chance to be back there every single year. That's what I've concluded. And if you hate the Chiefs, then you need to under you need you need to get over that because they're going to be in those big games every single year, and that's just that's just a matter of the facts, right? Like if you hate the Chiefs, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to deal with Patrick Mahomes for the next 15 years. And Chiefs fans absolutely deserve this. They deserve having that dude on their team because that for almost their entire history, they were going against that dude in their division. They were going against John Elway, and they never had that dude who could. Who could take them to the take them all the way? I mean, Alex Smith is a good quarterback, but he he was never going to win that game. So, people are just going to have to deal with that. The Chiefs are always going to be in contention. I'm not saying they're going to have a dynasty like the Patriots are are going to be win seven Super Bowls, but they're always going to be in contention. And with Patrick Mahomes, they should always be the favorites because that dude is the best football player right now in the world, and he has been for ever since he started. Ever since he started for the Chiefs. I agree, and as we talk about the Chiefs, I do want to make the transition to the other big news that I teased in the beginning part of the hour, and that's Brian Flores, the former Miami Dolphins coach, suing the NFL <clears throat> and three teams as former, as he is the former coach and he has alleged racism in the hiring practices. As many people are familiar with, the NFL a few years ago instituted the Rooney Rule, which stated that every single NFL team must interview at least one minority candidate. And when this rule was put in place, I think people were very questionable. I mean, you're just giving them a token interview. And I have some personal experience with this kind of stuff. And so when you see it and you see it happening on a large scale, it really makes you realize that there's some of this stuff in our society that doesn't make sense. And the Rooney Rule was one of them. Nonetheless, Brian Flores, former defensive coordinator for the Patriots, got the job with the Dolphins, led them to two straight winning seasons the first time that's happened in years. And they got fired. And he got fired. Well, today he sued three teams in a 58-page lawsuit that was filed in court. I'm reading directly from Adam Schefter at ESPN's article. In <clears throat> Flores allegedly, excuse me, Flores alleges that Dolphins owner Stephen Ross attempted to incentivize him to tank or purposely lose games shortly after he was hired in 2019, with Ross allegedly offering Flores $100,000 for every loss that season. Ridiculous. Have you seen Major League? Yeah, I have. That's like the actual owner. She's like telling that they want to lose. Yeah. Happened in Cleveland. Happens in Miami, right? Just absurd. And it it gets worse. Dolphins general manager Chris Greer told him him Ross was mad that Flores' on-field success was compromising the team's (laughs) draft position. Oh, my goodness, and it gets worse. Can you believe this? Uh, additionally, Flores alleges that Ross pressured him into recruiting a quote-unquote prominent quarterback who was later later reported to be Tom Brady at the end of the 2019 season, which Flores said, no way, man, that's, that's tampering. I'm not doing that. He even offered him to go to his yacht, and guess what happened? He said, come to my yacht, there's a meeting. He told Tom Brady, come to my yacht, there's a meeting. Flores found out about it and said, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not breaking the rules. And the owner hated him ever since, okay? But guess what? It gets even worse than that. He was fired despite winning back-to-back seasons for the first time since 2013, as we mentioned. Flores alleges 
that the Giants interviewed him last month for their head coaching vacancy for no other reason than compliance with the Rooney Rule. And this is where it gets interesting. The league has amended that rule in recent years and basically now say that there has to be a person with at least one external interview. So, like, you can interview if you interviewed. So, like, if the Chiefs fired Andy Reid and they interviewed Eric Bieniemy and didn't give him the job, they have to interview somebody, a minority candidate mm-hmm. that's out of their realm in order for that to happen. Um, apparently, he spoke with the Giants on January 18th via Zoom, and then their GM wasn't hired yet, so they hired another GM. They hired their GM on the 23rd, who then texted Flores and said, hey, you got to knock, knock out that interview. Like, you got this, even though he already interviewed. And it gets even more weird because he was texting back and forth with Bill Belichick. Okay, this is this is strange. So follow me. If you're still listening, please continue to follow along. It's going to make more sense. Um, the text messages are there. Are, there's no other way to put it, but they're insane. I mean, they're just there's really no other way to put it. Um, you you I got to pull them up here. It's it's crazy because uh, Bill Belichick thought that he was texting Brian Dable, who ended up being Brian Flores. Brian Dable gets the job. Um, let me read you the text messages right here because it's it's uh it's pretty interesting. Of course, now they're not going to pull up. Um, it, it's just crazy. Here we go. Cause sounds like you have landed the job. Congrats. This is from Bill Belichick. Did you hear something that I didn't hear? Bill Belichick. Giants. Uh, I interview on Thursday. I think I have a shot at it. Got it. I hear from Buffalo and New York Giants that you are their guy. Hope it works out if you want it to. That's definitely what I want. I hope you're right, Coach. Thank you. Next text. Coach, are you talking to Brian Flores or Brian Dable? Just making sure. Sorry, I effed this up. I double-checked and I misread the text. I think they're naming Dable. I'm sorry about that. Thanks, Bill. Can you believe that? Uh... As crazy as it is, I, I, I'm not surprised that a situation like this happened, honestly, w- just the way the NFL is. I mean, it like the text messages, they look fake. They're real, but it seems just made up how insane the situation is and how if you follow it step by step, you it's just like, really? This is what happened? Because there was internal like strife within the Dolphins this year about um, Flores and the owner and everybody's like, oh, it's because he didn't like Tua. No, it's because he was winning. And they can talk about draft position all they want. The year they drafted Tua, they drafted Tua over Justin Herbert. Yeah. So don't even come at them with the the draft positioning whenever you mess up the draft pick anyway. Like, it's just, I mean, it's just insane. And, it, like, I, it's just unfathomable to me that something like this happened. But at the same time, I'm not surprised because Eric Bieniemy has been leading the NFL's best offense for three years now. He led the NFL's top five offense with Alex Smith. He still hasn't gotten a job. Like, it's just, it's, I, I don't know. I, I can't say I'm surprised anymore. Here, here's the quote from Brian Flores I'm going to read, and then we're going to move on here fairly soon. He says this, God has gifted me with a special talent to coach the game of football, but the need for change is bigger than my personal goals. In making the decision to file the class action complaint today, I understand that I may be risking coaching the game that I love and have, that I have done so much for my family and me. My sincere hope is that by standing up against systematic racism in the NFL, others will join me to ensure that positive change is made for generations to come. Here's the deal. 
the NFL is racist. I'm not saying that the people that play in the NFL are racist. I'm not saying that the coaches are racist. I'm saying that NFL owners, by and large, are a boys club that take the people that they want and they give them the positions that they want. And by definition, by definition, even if they're not trying to be, it is racist. The NFL is sexist. The NFL is racist. There is a real issue with this. And the sad part is a lot of this stuff mimics society. You can sit here and complain about politics. You can sit here and complain about how our world is today. But at the end of the day, a lot of this has to come back with how you treat people. And that is not how you treat people. You do not treat people like the way that Brian Flores and so many other black men in our society get treated. This is more than just about the NFL. This is about life. Brian Flores is taking a stand. As somebody said, he is pulling a Colin Kaepernick for men in power. Colin Kaepernick is an athlete, right? He is he did this for the athletes. And in society as a whole, sure. Did he do it for society as a whole? Sure. But people didn't see it that way. If you refuse to acknowledge Colin Kaepernick, you say he's just an athlete who makes a lot of money. But you see a guy like this risk his livelihood? Brian Flores, if he never coaches again, he's going to have to get another job. Sure, he's made millions of dollars in his life, but he's going to have to work again. He is risking everything by doing this. And guess what? I'm here to tell you Brian Flores will not coach in the NFL again, and he knows it. He's doing this for the coach that is, right now he's like a middle school football player, right? Who's going to be a coach maybe in the NFL one day. That kid that we know nothing about, that coaches at high school, coaches high school football, he played high school, never played in college. He's 23, 24, 25 right now. Guess what? That guy that's coaching at, you know, Podunk High School in, in, in Mississippi, in, in Louisiana, in Kansas, in Missouri, all across the country, he's coaching for, he's doing this for that kid. That's the kid he's doing this for. Brian Flores is taking a stand, and I think every single person around the sporting world should applaud him. Every single person in our society should applaud him because it is not easy to do what he's doing. It's not easy to do what he's doing, and I commend him for it. I absolutely applaud Brian Flores for doing this. I mean, it is giving himself the he, – he's never going to coach again. Like, he, he says he's leaving the door open. He's, he's never going to coach again. And going into this hiring, coaching hiring process, I thought he was the most attractive candidate because he is a great, great football coach. And I think he's even, he's even a greater man. And I, I think this displays this. And even even last year, the Texans hired David Coley. That that was a death sentence for David Coley. And he did an exceptional job. They, they won four games this year for a roster that should have won zero. And he still got fired because the Texans knew they could satisfy the Rooney rule by hiring him. And another thing about the Brian Flores situation you didn't touch on was the, the Broncos interview. Oh, yeah. good. Yep. Which is just it, – it, it, the details were – the Broncos have come out and said, oh, this is not true, but I'm inclined to believe Brian Flores on this one, where he, he shows up to an interview. He says uh, John Elway, who was the Broncos VP at the time, and um, their their GM, mm-hmm. they showed up an hour late. He said they were clearly at least hungover, didn't take the interview seriously, and he said it was clearly just to satisfy the Rooney rule requirement. And I, I think my biggest issue with the Rooney rule is it doesn't work. I, I think the thought is there to get minorities in, in coaching positions, but it doesn't work because the NFL is so stuck in its ways when 31 out of 32 owners are old white men. 
there's only one minority owner in the NFL. Why, why do you think there's so little minority coaches, so little minority head coaches in the NFL? Exactly. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And, you know, like I said, it unfortunately reflects society. And people don't want to have that conversation, but I'm having that conversation. And I'm going to leave it at that because uh, we still have to finish up here the show. we got about 10 minutes left. Um, you're listening to The Night Shift on Wildcat 91.9. I, I want to finish that up. I want to finish up the show on a positive note because I don't want to have this show be a downer. But I do think it's important to have this conversation. And if you're not willing to have this conversation with your own family, with your kids, with your with your coworkers, with your friends, if you're not willing to have this conversation with them, you're part of the problem. Exactly. It's time to fix it. This should serve as a wake-up call for everybody. On the first day of Black History Month, that things need to change. And with everything that's gone on these past few years, this is just another example of what's going wrong. Um, speaking of going wrong as I terribly transition... <laughs> K-State basketball plays Oklahoma State on Saturday, or excuse me, tomorrow night. Once again, no school. Oklahoma State has landed. I did, I found that out. Someone told me that Oklahoma State has landed, so they're here. Um, but this is Bruce Weber on the matchup with the Oklahoma State Cowboys tomorrow night. Well, I think the, the crazy thing is, after the games last night, I, I text the coaches and the players, uh, you know, if we can find a way to win, which is, you know, and every win is hard in this league. Uh, we could be tied for six. We could be tied for fifth place um, after what we've all been through. Uh, you know, the COVID, the injuries, all of that, the close losses. And probably the real sad part about it, if you found a way to win one of those close games, you'd be in the top part of the league. And, you know, two of them, you'd be, you know, but we, we didn't do that. Uh, you know, all we can do now is worry about, you know, just keep getting better and, and, deal, you know, deal with what we have. Um, you know, I thought, you know, we lost our spirit after Kansas. There's no doubt. You saw it in the Baylor game. I, I really thought against Mississippi, uh, we had a little more pop on defense. Um, uh, we, you know, we just didn't make shots. It, it's, it's, you know, pretty simple. There's so much wrong with what he just said. I only have seven minutes left in the show, so I'm not going to talk about it. Listen, Bruce, you did a lot more than miss shots again. It's Ole Miss. And I tweeted this out. I said, is this the worst loss that K-State's had the last three seasons? And sadly, it's not even freaking close. Fort Hayes State, blowing a 17-point loss to KU. Throw in some other losses against Bradley two years ago. I mean, the, the, the list goes on and on. But I felt like with the expectations, you still have an outside chance making the tournament. And they still do because the Big 12 is so high and Ken Palm and Net. I mean, they still have an outside chance. It's just the facts. But they've got to win tomorrow. They have to win tomorrow. They, 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 they say they want to play for Bruce. Well, you got to win. At the end of the day, you got to win. I don't think there's any way Bruce comes back next year, and we'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But there's no way he comes back next year. There's there's just no way. I still think there's an outside shot this team makes a tournament. I saw somebody say they go 7-3 and three down the stretch. That puts them at 17-13. and 13. They win a game in the Big 12. I mean, you don't have to squint your eyes to see the talent that this team has, and you don't have to squint your eyes to see them squeaking out some wins like that along the way. But they got to get going, and they got to get going now. If they lose, just you know, wad it up and throw it out the window because they're not – they might not win another game in the rest of the conference. So they got to win this game tomorrow night. Um, but, yeah, Saturday was frustrating. Oh, very. And if you can't beat Oklahoma State, who can you beat in the Big 12? Because Oklahoma State's not a bad team, but almost every team is better than them in the Big 12. And 
the game on Saturday was interesting to watch, to say the least. It just looked just all out of sham. Like, just, everything was just all out of sorts. It just looked – nobody looked connected on the floor. I mean, you had two guys go for 19 and 20. Nobody else did anything. Like, the, this team is at its best when nobody's scoring a big chunk of points. It's when Mark Smith scores seven, Mike McGurl scores eight, Nigel Pack scores 12, Marquise Noel goes five and seven assists, right? Whenever they are not connected and they were not connected on Saturday, this it, it's, it's hard basketball to watch sometimes whenever they're playing that brand of basketball when there's one or two guys on the court. It's like you're playing two on five. With, Literally. With with three dudes just standing there. And and, and I think, like, if I, I would liken this, what they need to do is, do you remember when Kimball Walker went on that run at UConn? Mm-hmm. That is almost exactly what they would have to do to even get into the NCAA tournament. I, I think at this point, you can go 7-3, and three, sure, that's a tall ask. I think at this point, the best chance they would have to make the NCAA tournament is to win the Big 12 tournament. I, I that That's just what I feel. And that would be awesome. I would love to see that. But just with how inconsistent this team is, what what are the chances they win two more games this year? I, I, I don't know. But, see, it's so weird because they're so inconsistent that they could go on this run, right? True. Last year they didn't have talent. There was no talent. They didn't have talent. Now they have talent. It's a matter of will they be able to. So uh, we're going to, like I said, we'll have plenty of K-State basketball talk. Um, later on, you know, as we move along here throughout the semester. But a very frustrating game on Saturday. I do think they win against Oklahoma State. We're going to get onto our picks here in a second. But, yeah, I just very frustrating. they got to win, right? they got to win or else all the tournament hopes are outside of your window. And um, it's just it's not going to end pretty. So um, as we move on to our picks, got about three minutes left here in the show. We're going to start with this. You didn't know we were picking this one, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Texas at Texas Tech. 8 o'clock, ESPN2. The angry mob of the Texas Tech Red Raider fans down there in Lubbock. Chris Beard makes his return. It's going to get ugly. That's it's, why it's already ugly. That's why I'm picking Texas Tech. That arena is going to be so rowdy. I, I don't think, like, you can try to prepare for that all you want. Like, Texas is not going to be ready. They're not going to be ready for prime time. I wouldn't be surprised if they lose by 20 points. I think Texas Tech is the much better team anyway. So, yes. yeah, I think they'll win. But I'm not sure Chris Beard makes it out alive. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think there might be. You've he made seen, a leave out the back exit or something like that, some underground tunnel at the arena. Yeah, you've seen uh, you've seen straight out of Compton, right? Yes. The scene in Detroit where the riot happens uh-huh, uh-huh. and they get on the bus. That's what's going to happen in Lubbock. Yep. Like, I'm actually worried. Fans are going to start throwing stuff down there. So, yes, we both think Texas Tech. Moving on, Wednesday. Who wins? K-State or Oklahoma State? K-State. K-State, why? Um, I, I think – I just think it's at it's do-or-die time, and I think K-State is going to play at their best when it's do-or-die time. Score? Oh, I don't, I don't know, like 65-62. It's going to get really hairy at the end. That's all I know. First team, the 60 wins, is that what you're saying? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, well, I think, like I said, I think Texas Tech will win on tonight, tomorrow night – I'm going to take K-State. I know this is a stupid decision. I, You look at their ESPN predictor, they're actually favored to win. Yep. So that's weird. Um, I think they're going to like come out and just, because everybody thinks they suck, they're going to come out and look really good and get people bought back in. So I'll say K-State 75 to like 56. You got a Pro Bowl pick for this weekend? A purple pick? Pro Bowl. A Pro Bowl pick. You're going to pick a team for the Pro Bowl? No, I do not, I do not <laughs> care. Sorry, hey. I almost cussed. I do not care. Um, hey, USMNT tomorrow night. 
versus Honduras. Big uh, game. Big game. I'm going to go with a draw because that's what always happens in soccer. No, 1-0. One 1-0. No. One no. That's what's going to happen. Thanks for listening to the Night Shift. Wildcat 91.9 for Cole Carmody. I am Cole Carmody. For Connor Carson, this is Cole Carmody. We'll see you next week. Have a safe week, everybody. Try and stay warm. Oh,